0: Okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the concept of openness. Openness is a willingness to become vulnerable. That's kind of the the broadest way that I could define openness and so so we're gonna we're gonna actually discuss openness together a little bit uh, what what openness is and, and what it means for us and that kind of stuff but but the idea that you're coming at with openness is is this idea that, Uh, You would be willing to let your guard down. Like when you become open to somebody, you actually accept the possibility of being hurt by that person. Like the very the very concept, in fact, implies that you would be letting someone else into your private personal life. Right. So this is what I want to do with this concept of openness, this willingness to become vulnerable. I'm actually going to ask you to do something this morning. okay? so so get prepared. All right. I want you to think of a person other than your spouse if you're married. I want you to think of a person other than your spouse uh, with whom you were willing to become vulnerable at some point in your life. So think of a person other than your spouse with whom you were willing to become vulnerable who handled your vulnerability well. So this is a person you became vulnerable with them and they did a really good job of handling that vulnerability. And this is what we're going to do. I want you to think of that person, come up with that person, think of that, define that person in your head. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to interact in the chat room. So if you can make your way to the chat room and just buckle in, in general, there are going to be more of these kind of intentional times of reflection and more of my sermons, uh, just to give us a chance to to really dig in and reflect on some of these things. So this is what we're going to do in the chat room. I want you to share this person's name I want you to share their relationship to you, and I would like to hear two or three character qualities or traits that enabled you to be open with them. So, so okay, there are three things you're gonna share in the chat. Number one, you're gonna share their name, the person you are able or willing to become vulnerable with, share their name, their relationship to you, and two or three character qualities or traits that enabled you to be open with them. Uh, Okay, so everybody go now to the chat and we'll kind of share those things in the chat box. Okay, uh, thank you all so much for doing that. That was really, really helpful. We'll kind of pull everybody back to the live stream now. Uh, I saw consistently some themes that are actually going to come up a lot in our conversation today. Uh, a lot of people said trustworthy. A lot of people said loyal. A lot of people said something on along the lines of integrity. And so, so we'll talk about these things and, and what they mean for us a little bit further this morning. So, um, so why did we do any of that? Well, we're in this series called Connect with and actually the image for this series is three puzzle pieces uh and a, a the, the the top puzzle piece is Jesus and then one of the side puzzle pieces is you and then the other side puzzle piece is your neighbor and uh so, so you have Jesus you and your neighbor the idea being that, that when we talk about connecting with our neighbors, we're not just trying to get us connected with our neighbors, but we're trying to get us connected to Jesus, right? So that we can see our neighbors connected to Jesus. And so, so really the last four weeks— um, if we could boil it down to like where that relational line is, it's really about getting us connected to Jesus. Like Pastor Don in the first week talked about this idea of inertia, how God needs to break us out of our inertia, how we need to like kind of repent, right, uh, for ways that we've not uh, done well in this connecting realm. And then uh, we talked about prayer, uh, we talked about God's heart for lost people. Uh, then uh, week three, uh, Garth, he came up and he shared with us about just being amazed at what Jesus has done for us. And that when we, uh, when we are amazed, like that becomes a story that we hold in our heart and we can't wait to share with others. Last week, we talked about the reality of God's judgment towards sin and sinners. All of this, these last four weeks have been helping us understand God's heart as we talk about what it means for people to be drawn to him. So actually now this week we're going to start moving more into this idea of actually connecting with our neighbors. So Uh, I I talk about all of that connecting with our neighbors. And then I realize, like we actually happen to be quarantined from church today uh, because you know, somebody tested positive and that's like, that's a reality, but uh, we're, we're in this season, this really strange season where we move into in and out of isolation, right? Where it's it's maybe even not a good idea for us to just go out and like start connecting with a bunch of people because we want to, you know, keep people safe and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so with, just recognize like there's a bit of a disclaimer um what it means to connect in this this season is going to be different than what it means to connect when uh you know it's safe and it's healthy and that kind of stuff so just be aware of that um and also be aware of the fact that like this is not the last time that we're going to be talking about uh connecting with our neighbors uh it'll become a regular part of even uh how we preach and and teach here at the church so so those are all just things to be aware of that's my little disclaimer uh, so so I want to propose a question to us that'll help us think along these lines that question is this why don't we regularly talk to our neighbors about Jesus why don't we regularly talk to our neighbors about Jesus so it's all right everyone sorry about that we had a little bit of uh internet mess up here so uh i i will kind of get us rolling back um okay so we were talking about um just kind of our responsibility um our call so sam chan he wrote this book evangelism in a skeptical world talked about how our first job is to know the gospel but then we actually have a second job and that's what i want to talk about this morning our second job is to understand how people, people who are shaped by culture, will actually connect to the gospel. Um, so so for what it's worth, I actually do this when I'm preaching. I, uh, Yeah, I have this responsibility to know and understand the word and present the word with clarity. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to understand like the people that I'm preaching to, what's going to help connect God's word to them in a, a relevant and a tangible and a relatable way, right? So uh, so suburban Americans, let's just talk about our culture for just a second. Suburban Americans are products of this thing called the Enlightenment. It's this thing all the way back in the 1700s. Uh, you can just know that it's called the Enlightenment. And there is something that resulted out of the Enlightenment. Out of the Enlightenment came this thing we call the sacred and secular divide. So in the sacred and secular divide, what happened is we... Uh, developed this message that kind of got written into our cultural DNA. And, and that message is spiritual life. Spiritual life is private and separated from the observable world. Uh, and so, therefore, uh, spiritual conversations, what they do is they exist inside a box that you kind of keep hidden towards the back of your life that, that only comes out for a select few. So so your spiritual life stays Private, right? This is a message that came out of the Enlightenment, or it's a cultural reality that came out of the Enlightenment. So, people in our culture do not easily and regularly have spiritual conversations because they consider those things to be private conversations. And that's a reality of the culture we live in. So this student of culture, as you're observing, it's saying, actually, like, no, spiritual conversations are uncomfortable because they belong in the category of private life. Uh, this is not true of all cultures for what it's worth. Like some, some cultures have no problem talking about spiritual things and spiritual realities. but But in our culture, this is a thing that belongs in private life. So what do we do with this reality? Well, uh, I want to let you know that I love flowcharts. Flowcharts Flow charts are incredibly helpful for me as I like think about uh, how to just process information and communicate clearly and that kind of stuff. So I actually want to use a flowchart to help us understand, uh, you know, how to deal with this cultural baggage that the people we're trying to reach are, are, are underneath. And so we'll kind of build it backwards. So our goal. Our goal is that we want to see people respond with repentance. That's what we're aiming for, repentance and faith. So as we like seek to, to reach people and, and go out to them, like our ultimate, well, our desire, the thing that we pray for, the thing that we ask for is that God would bring them to faith in Jesus, that they would actually like come to salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus. We want this to be their response. Sorry, I'm going to just write it down here. So we want this to be their response when we share our reasons. We want this to be their response when we share our reasons for the hope that is in us. Now, Pastor Don talked about this. His very uh, this is actually in the in-between week before his first week in the series. He talked about this hope that we have. And, and when we start, like, having conversations, you know, talking about what it means to to share the gospel with people, talking about what it means to, to to get into things like evangelism and that kind of stuff, we usually start the conversation right here. How do we share compelling good reasons for faith in Jesus, for the hope that is in us? And, and it's important to note that, like, we want to be faithful, Uh, to share our reasons, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the outcome. We want to be faithful, to be open with our reasons. We want to have intentionality in sharing them. Uh, And we want to seek to understand people and love them all along the way as we do this. So we need to also then acknowledge a possibility. If they respond to our reasons with repentance, there's another way that they could respond to our reasons. They could actually respond with rejection. Right. So there there are two possibilities of how they could respond. We can't do anything about either of them. But I would wager this is what we have right here. So so if our goal is repentance and faith, we want that to be a response to the reasons that we share with them. Um my my wager is that actually most of us rarely ever get to this point with our friends and neighbors. And I wager that because uh, we have that student of culture inside of us. And what that student of culture is telling us is that something else actually needs to come before we get to this point. And that something else is something that we've already talked about this morning. It is openness. Openness. We sense that our neighbors are not open to spiritual conversations because our culture says that these conversations belong in private life. And so openness is what is required for somebody to let you in to their private life. So, so reality. If a person is going to be open, something needs to exist before that person will be open. And this is something that a lot of you mentioned. The people with whom you were open were trustworthy. There was trust that existed in your relationship So we're trying to to get to this point so that we can be faithful with our reasons, uh, and we want to see a response that would ultimately lead to repentance and faith. In order for that to happen, we need to create openness. In order for openness to exist, there needs to be trust. So what tools do we have to build trust? Well, many of them we listed in the chat. Um, but I want to come up with one broad word that could encompass all of the ideas that we're talking about this morning. And that word is hospitality. So, hospitality is our love for the stranger. Hospitality is our love for the stranger, and so um, we start with hospitality. Hospitality. The more hospitable we are with a person, the more it enables us to build trust. The more it creates openness. Uh, the more, you know, the the higher likelihood that we are going to be able to share our reasons and actually be heard. So you might be asking right now, okay, where is this process that you have just lined out for us? Where is this at in the Bible? Uh, and I want to tell you that it is not explicitly in the Bible, but I would suggest that this process is actually what it means as we walk through this with people. I would suggest that it is what it means to let our light shine in our suburban culture. So Matthew 5.16 says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So what Jesus implies when he says these words is that letting our light shines means yes, sharing the truth about who Jesus is and what he has come to do, but it also means that we would have loving action, loving works that we do for and around our neighbors. Okay, so 1 Peter 3:15 through 17. Where it tells us about sharing our reasons for this hope that we have in us. Verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That is like the thing, the words that you're going to do, but you do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And actually, if you read back a little further, even before v- verse 15 in 1 Peter, acting uh, the idea that he presents is that we would act towards all of our neighbors with humility and tenderheartedness, that we would offer a blessing to them. The concept that's being presented here is that those who are strangers, those who don't believe like we do, who don't see things like we do, um, that that we would love them, that we would love the other, the, the stranger. I would suggest to you that this is a pattern that we even see in Jesus's ministry. So, so we're going to take these concepts uh, over the, actually the, the next several weeks and apply them uh, to to, what, to our culture and to how we can best communicate and that stuff. But, but all of it means, if we're going to follow this process, all of it means that we must be hospitable. And this is a command of Scripture, that we would love our neighbor. We must be hospitable. So take, a, again, a, a look at this list. We have hospitality, trust, openness. Reasons, response that could lead to either rejection or repentance. I want to ask you a question as we think about these things. Uh, The question is this. Which of the things in this list do we have control over? Which of the things in this list do we have control over? As I look, there are only two things. In this list that we can actually do anything about. And that are those things are our hospitality and the reasons that we share. Those are the only two things that we can actually do anything about. So, you know what, like if we're if we're consistently struggling to build trust with our neighbors, you know what, that that consistent struggle that might become an evaluation tool But but we can never make anyone trust us. We can't actually make them trust us. That is in their court. That's their decision. Their lack of trust might mean that we need to make an adjustment to our hospitality. But it could also mean that they just struggle with trusting people. You know what their initial response of rejection it might mean that they don't want to hear us but but it actually like it might mean that there's an area of their life that we haven't discovered yet that the gospel could more easily connect to there might be a better way to share our reasons but the, the we can you know we can't determine their response We can't make them trust us. We can't force them to be open with us. We can't repent for them. We can't do any of that. There are only two things that we have control over that we can actually do. We can be hospitable and we can give a reason for the hope that is in us. And there's also a third thing that we must do as well. You might wonder, what uh, is this up here in the corner? Uh, if you've seen a lot of Christian banners or symbolism, this is a dove, and this dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like those, So there are really, like yes, two things in this list, but a third thing that we must do, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, because you know what? When we uh, encounter our neighbors, connect to our neighbors, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to empower our hospitality. He's actually going to help us see uh, the people that we love and offer them good news, good reasons for our hope. Uh, we can't do any of this apart from him. So so he's going to come and he's going to actually empower us as we engage in this process. So here's here's the crazy thing. As we pray, as we seek to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, engaging with our neighbors, the other crazy thing that happens is like he actually begins to draw near to them as well. Like he gets closer and closer and closer and and actually like sort of cooperates with us and begins drawing our neighbors he does this work and so there's while there's this empowering of us there is also this movement towards those for whom we are praying and as he moves towards them we hope our hope is to see him draw them to repentance and faith in Jesus so as we talk about connecting these three things, our own yeah, seeking of the Holy Spirit to increasingly fill us, our hospitality, uh, love for people who don't yet believe like us, and our reasons for our hope, those are the things that we have control over. We can't make them trust us. We can't make them be open with us, and we cannot control their response. So these are the things that we can do something about. So I want you to know, uh, as we talk about connecting with, and, and we spent some time on this, this is going to stay up here the rest of the, the morning. Um, I want you to know that that these things, my goal is not to like get us to produce fruit. Only God brings about fruit. My goal is not to get us to gain sort of evangelistic results, uh, like to get that conversions number up, right? Like that that's not like my goal. My goal is actually not even – so you might have a <laughs> struggle with this. My goal is actually not to grow our church. My goal is to make disciples. That's actually our goal as elders. Our responsibility as a church is to make disciples, which means helping us be as faithful as we can with the things that we're called to do, to be filled with the Spirit, to be faithful as we can in hospitality, and to be as faithful as we can in sharing the reasons for the hope that is in us. So so along those lines, we're going to start examining this morning, and we'll only start, uh, what does faithful hospitality Look like you know Pastor Don has shared something with me, and uh, and has I've heard this come up several times, and uh, it's a it's a quote, it's a phrase, it's whatever you want to say, but and it comes from scripture, but but I want to share it with you, and and it goes like this: a steward does not need to be successful; a steward needs to be shown faithful. Like our responsibility is faithfulness with our hospitality. Our responsibility is faithfulness in our reasons. Our responsibility is faithfulness in seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we need to be faithful in those things. We don't bring about results, though. Results only come through the power of the Holy Spirit, and results only come through, like, the, you know, people make the decisions that they're going to make. So So with that being said, let's look at what it means to be faithful with hospitality. We're in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and you're like, oh my goodness, if he spent that long on the intro, uh, how long are we going to be in the passage? Well, it's not that much longer, so, so uh, buckle in with me. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It's a story about Jesus. Jesus is entering into Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So uh, so I want to do an imagination exercise with you this morning. I want to ask you a question. What do you think represents a deplorable human being? What character traits would that person have? What scene, uh, what group of people are they engaged with? What crowd are they associated with? How do they label themselves? I want you to have this person in your mind, the deplorable human being that I might be speaking of. Now, I want you to imagine this. That deplorable human being actually gets rich off of being the deplorable person that they are. That's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and tax collectors were among the most corrupt people in the Roman world. They were deplorable people. What they did is they uh, took taxes for the Roman government. They accepted the taxes that needed to go to Caesar, right? But then on top of that, the tax collectors had the freedom to charge whatever additional rate that they wanted to to make their money, to make their living. And Zacchaeus was apparently this guy who had gotten rich on overcharging people. Uh, Okay, so the uh, these tax collectors are worse than the IRS, just so you know, because the IRS just collects your money towards the government. They don't take it like the bit off the top. So, so Zacchaeus is taking quite a bit off the top. Uh, verse three, of Luke 19, it says this. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead. And climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. If you grew up in church or in Sunday school, you might have heard the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. So that like that song has just stuck with me. I, I know that like Zacchaeus couldn't see. He was a small dude. And uh, he didn't just climb up to see anything. Like He wasn't just trying to see what he could see. He was trying to see one specific thing. He was trying to see who is this Jesus. You know what? He had probably heard about Jesus. He had probably heard about his hospitality, his power, uh, his healing, his teaching with authority, his frustrating of the religious elites. Jesus had actually been letting his light shine all over the place. And Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. So just a heads up, when Jesus comes through, Jesus has every single reason to ignore this man. He actually even has every reason to avoid him. In fact, knowing Zacchaeus, trusting Zacchaeus, getting close to Zacchaeus can only do Jesus harm because Zacchaeus is a swindler. Actually, he's not just a swindler, but he is the chief swindler. So from a worldly perspective, Jesus has nothing to gain and a lot more to lose by associating with this guy. So... uh a personal experience I had I live in a I lived in a small town, grew up in a small town uh, and when I was in college, I used to have breakfast every Sunday with this group of older guys, probably 30, 40 years my older uh, older than me so so uh, these guys were all Christian guys uh, and uh, we lived in this town and then uh, there was uh, just about a football field away from the place where we ate breakfast was this grocery store. And the guy who owned the grocery store was a person that not everybody liked. That's the, the, the kind way to say it. Uh, he was constantly criticized in our community for the way he did business and that kind of stuff. And so, so the Christian guys that I'm with at this table one morning, they are just laying in to this grocery store owner. Now, this guy is not present with us, uh, but they are just talking about him. They have all of these problems with him and the way he does things. And, and so it becomes gossip. And slander and judgment and condemnation just being hurled around this table between all of these Christians, you know, all of those Christians things that Christians do. So, uh, so as I'm listening to these guys, I could not help but think of this story and ask the question, how does Jesus see this person that everybody else sees as deplorable? How does Jesus actually see them? Verse 5 shows us. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So just something to note. Everyone else sees a swindler. That's what everybody else sees. But Jesus sees a stranger that he is called to love. And when it says, uh, Jesus says, I must stay at your house. It's kind of like I have this responsibility. Like God has given me this responsibility to be with you, to love you, to be in your house. So, So right here we see Jesus practice hospitality in several ways. Number one, he allows interruption to take place. He allows his schedule to be interrupted by Zacchaeus. Number two, he sees the person who is often unseen, right? Because he's a wee little man and he is hidden behind people and nobody wants to deal with him. He sees the person who is often unseeable. Number three, he makes a space for the neglected, albeit sinful person. Number four, he's willing to meet Zacchaeus in his space, in his house. And number five, he sets his reputation aside for Zacchaeus. He doesn't care what he is going to lose by meeting with Zacchaeus. And so when this unexpected extension of hospitality comes towards Zacchaeus, he actually like jumps at the opportunity. So verse seven says, when they saw it, they all grumbled and said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So so being a house guest has far more meaning and significance in biblical culture than it does in ours because it it reflects a willingness to display unity and loyalty towards the person. It reflects a willingness to be associated with them, and it, it actually reflects even a certain level of relational intimacy, all of those things might actually be said of today's culture, but to a much lesser degree than they could have been said in that culture. So, so when the people saw Jesus go into Zacchaeus' house, they could not stand it. They asked questions like, how could they possibly love him? How could Jesus possibly love him? How could he waste his time on a person like that? Like there are people out here who need to be healed. There are people out here with really good spiritual questions, but Jesus is going to go waste his time on a person like that. He's going to prioritize the tax collector when there are people who have real needs. So I just want you to see yourself like these people right now who are criticizing Jesus for going and visiting Zacchaeus. And I want to give you a word of exhortation. Your judgment is a barrier to Christ-like hospitality. Your judgment is a barrier to Christ-like hospitality. What should describe the life of Christians is that we make generous space in our lives for all kinds of people especially those that the world would tell us to exclude. So heads up, we don't see anything that Jesus does in this interaction with Zacchaeus. We only know that he extended hospitality to a person that everybody else thought he should avoid. And so we see Zacchaeus' response in Luke 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The amazing thing here is that Zacchaeus responds with repentance and faith. When he says to Jesus, he calls Jesus Lord. That is a symbol of his faith. Uh, It's not common for people to just be called Lord, but Zacchaeus calls him Lord. He acknowledges Jesus's position. And then on top of that, he turns and he repents for the way that he has defrauded people. And so as a result, Jesus says, like through his faith, he says, salvation has come to this house today. And actually, he says he... Is also a son of Abraham so uh so to a Jewish person uh, when Zacchaeus he becomes a tax collector and he becomes like this kind of person he is essentially throwing away any association with his faith but Jesus says when when Zacchaeus repents, Jesus says this man is a son of Abraham as opposed to the Pharisees who uh, kind of don't do the whole repentance and faith thing uh, he calls. Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham. So all of this took place because Jesus displayed true hospitality. Now, uh, we're not given a guarantee that this will be the response every time that we display hospitality. But if what we're called to do is love our neighbor, then we need to be as faithful as we can in showing hospitality even to those we think don't deserve it. So so next week what we're going to do is actually we're going to dig into specifics of what hospitality can look like in our culture. But today I just want to end with one so what? So so just the only one that we're going to do is a self-evaluation question. And it is about those barriers that keep us from regularly making space for the other. So here I want you to ask yourself this question, what exists in your life right now that's keeping you from regularly making space for the other. It's not out of the realm of possibility that it could be judgment, like like the the people who are watching Jesus cast judgment on Zacchaeus and Jesus, right? Um, it, It might be a barrier where you're afraid of what people think of you or how they might consider you. It might be, a barrier where you're just not willing to understand another person's perspective. Um, It might be actually a really practical barrier of time. And and, you know, there's this like whole reality of COVID where we don't have the permission to like, just go out and invite people in. But, but what I am aware of is that there's likely some barrier in all of our lives. That is a barrier to Christ's hospitality being extended through us and towards others. And here is what I want us to do. If you can if you know what that barrier is for you, whatever it is, I want you to make a plan to remove that barrier. And like even even if we're in COVID, even if we can't go and visit somebody physically, Maybe we're aware of a person who needs us to reach out to them just through writing them a note. Maybe we're aware of a person who needs us to uh, just send them a, a nice text or, a set, you know, writing things are, are one of the best ways that we can reach out. Maybe we need to give a gift to somebody. Maybe we go up and knock on a person's door and stand, you know, 10 feet back from their doorway and we have a sign and say, hey, like I am here to help. Do you need anything? Can I pray for you? And just give those people like permission. I don't know what it is that we need to do, but but there's still opportunities that we can connect in a safe way. But I would wager that even before COVID, many of us struggled to connect. And if that's the case, I think we just need to be careful to ask the question, what barrier is there that is keeping us from regularly making space for the other? Now, why would we ask this question? Why will we even evaluate this? This is why, church. Because Jesus is just waiting to extend his hospitality through you and to others. He's waiting to draw people to himself. He's waiting on you to rely on his Holy Spirit to show you the best ways to love and care and be generous towards people. He's waiting you to rely on the Holy Spirit to show you the right time to to speak, the right words to bring, to bear on the conversation. So so we're going to continue equipping. We're going to continue walking through this. But this morning, my call would be evaluate those barriers. What is keeping you from regularly making space for the other? So with that being said, church, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, this morning we trust you to um, be revealing to us the things that would stop us from connecting with other people. Lord, and as we do that, we ask just your help, even your help of your Holy Spirit right now, to show us the nature of our hearts, the state of our hearts, but also to show us the ways that we can stop doing whatever it is that is preventing us from being people who connect well with our neighbors, from being people who exercise true biblical hospitality towards our neighbors. So Lord, we, we trust you for these things and. Uh, We ask that you would help us to be faithful. And as we continue through this equipping, would you show us what, what real hospitality looks like? Would you show us how to have compelling reasons for the things that we believe? Would you show us how to relate to people who live in this culture that we live in? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.